So talking about church attendance, um, how have you guys seen church attendance change from uh, when we were younger to now? Did, did Babyface just say when we were younger? <laughs> yeah. I think Babyface just said when we were younger. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm just trying to do my job. Just trying to do my job. <laughs> Way back in the stone age of 2001 when I was born. <laughs> oh, two. Thank you very much. <laughs> that was that was kids camp last week. <laughs> the attendance room kids camp. To, he attended. He, well, he attended a kids camp and he went to youth camp. No, I'm so saying he, he attended it. as a kid at kids yeah, camp. That's what I'm saying. He was a camper. <laughs> he progressed a lot this summer. He went from kids camp straight to youth camp. Exactly. <laughs> now he's on a podcast. <laughs> now he's on an adult podcast. <laughs> Anyways, besides beside that, um, how have y'all seen? In your time in the church, rephrase the question. Um, in your time in church, uh, how have you seen church attendance and the importance and value in that change? Well, Pap, you're the oldest, I, so I why don't say, you? Oh, mercy! Why don't you tell us how it was when you were younger? <laughs> well, back when we rode, rode in horse and buggies, uh, <laughs> I think the biggest thing in my lifetime is being a Christian when you know when I was a kid I remember Sundays we went to church you passed the same people on the road back and forth businesses were closed 123 was shut down and easily uh, none of the stores were open you know everybody went to church and you went to church to meet you didn't only go to hear the sermon and go to Sunday school, you went to see your buddies, you went to see your friends, you went to see your family, and then afterward you gathered and went to grandma's and had chicken and you know, went back to church. And the church was the hub of the the community. If you wanted to know something or know about something or something going on, you went to church to find out. And it was a social gathering place. So you had large attendance and you know that was that was a large part of your week, your routine, and now we're hooked to phones and you know internet. And well, that's what I was about to ask you. So, approximately, if if you can go back that far in time, when when can you recall or remember your first church presence or when you first attended a church service? Oh, it was. I mean, I went to church. Mom took us to church from the time we was born. Because you said your salvation occurred in like 1980. 89. 89. Yep. So from, from 1989, from 1989 back. Uh, I think the, the mid-80s to later 80s, early part of 90s, uh, I think most churches had a stronghold that I was associated with in the independent Baptist realm. Most of them had a very strong base and you know a lot of them were real involved in missions real involved in outreach and the congregations were full you well because you mentioned something really interesting babyface this will be for your sake so he held up his cell phone and he talked about the the impact of the distraction so back in the the late 80s early 90s we were around but those weren't so yeah. when did you start to see the impact of those distractions, of those pieces of technology, when do you think you, you can recall seeing the decline in 
in-person attendance based on those things? Probably, what would y'all say, 2000? Y2K? The, no, even after that, after that. really, yeah, really after that. Yeah. probably 2016, 17. But the birth of online church really didn't start until the, the 2000 teens. Yeah. yeah. If you think about like Life Church, um, they really didn't start blowing up until early 2000s and into the teens of 2000s before that became a thing. And they were really the first ones to, to offer an online church platform, really. And then right. it kind of grew from there. Obviously, COVID threw, threw a huge kink in that, and I'm sure we'll circle back around to that here in a little bit. But um, but as far as, like, online services and technology really being a piece of that, I wouldn't have said until what, late, late 2000s, yeah. early 2010s. Well, not even just technology being a piece of the worship service itself, but, but technology like TV with NASCAR races on Sunday and NFL football games on yeah. Sunday and baseball games and those type things uh, – did, can you remember a time when those same families that used to be at church for the social aspects and things like that suddenly weren't in church because now they could sit at home on Sunday afternoon and watch TV or or has it always been rather consistent based on your timeline and your age and, and things like that? No, I think I think there was a dramatic downturn in I don't know if it's across the board, but I know when we were in West Virginia, we were in West Virginia for around 10 years, and I left in right around 2000, um, somewhere right around in there, 99, 98, 99, 2000, and when I came back, it was like the world had changed. And I don't know if it's so much the world had changed or I had changed. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, spending 10 years in West Virginia, uh, a lot of the churches were still real strong, real, uh, I guess what you would classify as fundamental, uh, busy, active churches. And when I came home, a lot of the churches that I was aware of before I left, the membership had already declined and some of them very substantially. And in talking to people and talking to church members, a lot of them I've asked, why did you get out? And none of them gave me a reason. Everybody says, well, you know, I just got busy, man. I just, you know, I just left one Sunday and didn't come back. I, I didn't get mad, didn't get upset. Just got busy. It's and, good. and by the time I got back from West Virginia 10 years later, you know, a lot of the things even since the time y'all had been there, yeah. it, the numbers had steadily declined in, in a broad group of churches. Because uh, you've mentioned independent Baptist a lot, but I know, Chris and Will, you guys have a lot of, of uh, background, as, as do I, in uh, Southern Baptist. And, you know, I can remember early 90s, early 2000s as a Southern Baptist Things were, were booming. You guys could probably speak more into that about how how the Southern Baptist denomination was really at a peak. You know, you think of churches locally like Rock Springs and the Jesus Dome and, and places like that where where they were able to facilitate resources and buildings and things like that based on church attendance, whereas now things may not be quite as they were back then. So what well, have you guys seen in in just that denomination specifically? Well, 
going take taking it back to something that you had mentioned and, and that Will had kind of spoke to, I think it, you know, back in during that time it was a social thing. So you had the whole community showed up to church, mm-hmm. like it, it it was it was like a, a community wide event. It wasn't just a church service, and it wasn't just like a feeding or or something special going on. Like spiritual everybody showed literal feeding. Well, I mean, obviously, spiritual feeding, you know, I'm we always saying, get. I, I can, I can I, remember the church dinners and the, the yeah, everybody yeah. bring a mitt. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and that's the you way it was. Adam, though, right? Yeah. No, that's what that germaphobe. But the world changed, too, because. You, yeah, and that's what I was going to say. You know, from that standpoint, it was a social event. Yeah. And it, it's like the, not, not notoriety, but the. Um, I can't think of the word. Priority of the, the priority of the church. It was lost because it the community had other opportunities that they could be, or other things that they could be doing during that time frame. Mm-hmm. And I think too, not to kind of jump on, you know, um, little churches or anything like that. But I think too, there was a shift as well. There was something to where. The, these churches, um, again, it, like you mentioned, locally, like a Rock Springs or a, a New Spring or, or some of the, the, the more the larger churches, I think that social status you got from going to those larger churches took place. And so you could go there, and it, mm-hmm. it was it's not that those not that those churches aren't doing something to keep it from happening, but if you wanted a place to hide but still be in church, you could you could attend those. You could lose yourself in a big congregation. Exactly, exactly. And 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 I think from that standpoint, there were a lot of societal changes. You know, during that uh, late nineties, early two thousands, there was um, uh, I, I wouldn't say there was a shift um, as well from a from a generation, but to a certain extent there was. You know, you had a, a shift where uh, the younger generation coming up um, wasn't necessarily as attached to the more traditional services with the hymns and things like that, and they wanted more of a contemporary style. And I, I think uh, that there was a shift in that, and so you saw some drawback because there weren't those contemporary style services available for those younger generations as well as not again not to put anything on any pastors or anything like that but there were pastors still who were and, and still to this day look at it this way but they were against the contemporary oh, yeah. so you're saying essentially there was a chasm at some point because there were there were essentially two separate demographics or two mm-hmm. separate age groups or, or however mm-hmm. you want to define that where one particular demographic or age group wanted worship to be a certain way and then another separate, different demographic or age group wanted worship to be absolutely a different oh, yeah. way. That was labeled. Yeah. A, there was a whole season yeah. in church life that was labeled as the worship wars. Yeah, mm-hmm. you talk to pastors mm-hmm. who've been in it for a long enough time, <laughs> and they'll tell you about the worship wars. So tell us was, about it. The worship wars was a season and still is a season. I think we're I think we're beyond it at this mm-hmm. point. I really do. I, I think as we look at even what we've done here at the church at West Gant, that would have never happened ten years ago, fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, definitely. Mm-hmm because we were still very much entrenched in the idea that it's like we have to have either traditional worship or we have to have contemporary worship. 
but there's no blend. There's no in-between yeah. space. And there was literally, I mean, the first church that I was a youth pastor at um, with a real staff position. Uh, went through them. In fact, I left that church because there was a major divide between what the lead pastor desired to do, who, who had a bent towards let's go more contemporary and try to meet the needs of a new generation coming behind us, and the worship leader who was more on the traditional mindset. People started uh-huh. picking sides and it got ugly. And A lot of churches uh, folded. A yeah. lot of churches went yeah. through that process. Yeah. And so you lost a whole generation of people who were coming to church and enjoying it, but desired maybe a different aspect in worship, looked yeah. for something different that met their style a little more, mm-hmm. couldn't find that where they were, and so they ended up leaving the church, or were highly hurt and offended yeah. um, because they did desire that, and the church pushed back on it and wouldn't allow them to have it. So what did they do? Well, they went and planted their own churches. They mm-hmm. went and created their own yeah. things. That's where uh, you know, New Spring came out of. That's yeah. where Life Song Church came out of. That's mm-hmm. where, uh, and Life Song wasn't necessarily a worship war aspect, but, um, Anyways, that's a whole other story. But a lot of churches were birthed out of that, where yeah. it was people who had attended a church, had a desire to push forward, but didn't have the ability to do that within their worship setting. So they left and kind of did their well, own thing. Well, certainly. I mean, when you use a word as, as bold and as strong as war, you know, you're, you're literally forced to pick a side in a war. You can't mm-hmm. be on the fence or on the line. You've got to pick one or the other. So I can, I can see how how detrimental that could be to the church globally, you know, as, as a whole. Um, well, Duncan, and I, what have you seen in your, in your prime years of, of youth? I mean, does any of this resonate with you? Can you remember things being any bit different than, than what they are now? Or has it always kind of been as it is, but now that you're getting older and, and more mature, you're just starting to see things a little bit differently. It's, it's more of the, what you just mentioned like I never really never really saw a difference um it's always kind of been the same but I'm kind of uh going into more of a leadership role within the church I'm seeing more of the two different mindsets that you guys are talking about like I haven't seen one in action but I am seeing like sort of the mentality because like once you have that mentality it's not gonna just go away like especially when with a church that's uh kind of done uh, the same thing like and just throwing change in, into a church that's done the same thing like those mentalities come out those ideals come out um, and you just you see the, those two different views of church um, and even within your own church like sometimes you're just like it's not we're one church like that's not going to happen to us but the, the reality is like there's going to be someone that's going to be like, oh, I think we can do this better. Like, I wish we could go back to this time. I will say, um, you know, talking about those wars, you know, I kind of grew up in that, um, in the fundamental side. And um, because at that point I was with the fundamental independent as I was going through my high school and my college age. And what you had was you had a youth program that was doing the contemporary doing the new stuff (laughs) and like you could dive into and then you walked in to a church service that was essentially not not condemning that but it wasn't going to not embrace (laughs) yeah we are not going to wrap our arms around that and so from that standpoint yes you had that gap but the other thing that i think goes along with that as well is like like you were saying earlier, Wes, with the TV stuff with NASCAR and things like that, as 
as those that came out of the youth kind of moving into that adulthood, they realized there was other avenues that they could go to on that Sunday morning time slot instead of having to be at church. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was a combination of, yes, the wars, as well as other opportunities were coming up. From the faithful, from the two different sides, I think that there is also a contrast there as well, where you have a traditional setting and they look at that and say, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whereas you have the more contemporary setting as well that's going to be usually a Sunday morning um, with some kind of uh, small group, Sunday school, some kind of discipleship discipleship aspect Mm -hmm. of that, um, as well as some kind of youth and children's program with that. And so I think that, you know, you're looking from a what do they consider faithful it might be the one service on a Sunday morning and, um, you know, some kind of discipleship thing. Well, one thing that, side. that I really like that Pap said, he said, and this was a couple minutes ago, he said, I'm not sure if I was changing or the world was changing. And you used a big word. You said generational, and that's, that's a word we've thrown around a lot. But I, I just wrote this down as, as I was listening. Generational implies aging it implies getting older it implies years and time passing by and aging or time passing by implies change so i'm just curious if you guys think that the what's i can't think of the word the 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 rapidness or the time in which things changed could have contributed to the decline in the church meaning these older generational type people who have had things a certain way for 50 plus years well now all of a sudden because we're in a new decade or a new era now based on these wars things are essentially changing overnight do you think that that could have impacted or contributed to a decline that we might have seen again from the the church holistically or globally and you're shaking your head a lot so so what are your thoughts on that i think very much so uh and one thing that's that I'm gonna back up just one second on the on the change part. I don't know if it's you know I I came up in the in the what do you call it worshipers. Uh, I didn't know we had a title, but that's a very good title and a very accurate title. And like your dad, he was in the uh, using the analogy. He was in the front line of uh, yeah. of mm-hmm. change and. I mean, he changed our church drastically yeah. when he came as our song leader and Sunday school teacher for the good, for the good. But, you know, even our church, there was there was also a certain percentage that they didn't want any part of it. And they, they was, you know, they were they were people telling me, you know, as pastor, hey, we need to we need to calm down. And I'm like, you're you're wanting me to calm somebody down that is excited about coming to church. And what year was that? This was like 10 years ago, maybe? Yeah, something 12 like years that. ago. So 2010, 2012, yeah, somewhere around somewhere there. So there. even 10, 12 years ago, we were we were experiencing people telling you to pump the brakes, yeah. so to speak, uh, yeah. on a style of worship. Right. They wanted yeah. two songs, and they wanted two songs, a 20-minute sermon, and out the door by 12. Mm-hmm. And any Will deviation that. of that, <laughs> yes, I would. Was you know was wrong. I would not. <laughs> and, you know, and and when your dad came to our church, 
you know, it was very, uh, I hate to say the term, but very radical to some people, yeah. even though it was not, and even though it was very well, docile compared to most. Yeah, well, and, and let me ask you this, um, because it's it's something that I've heard before, and I, I can't remember the exact um, phrasing on it. It was... Um, uh, basically, uh, a very lively evangelical mu- uh, movement, but I can't remember what it's called. Um, uh, Chris is looking at me like I've lost my mind. Um, ah, charismatic, the charismatic yeah. movement. Yeah, I have heard, and and of course, I, I'm I wasn't old enough. I wasn't even born yet. Mm-hmm. At that Nor point, was Duncan. Yeah, Duncan. No, Duncan doesn't even know what. Traditional. <laughs> I'm just kidding. What are you about? <laughs> the charismatic um, movement. Yeah, but the, but I had heard that it, a lot of that fundamental traditionalism came from a charismatic movement. Like there was a charismatic movie mo- movie movement in the '60s and '70s, mm-hmm, very and much so. and so um, and it it was one that the fundamental uh, more traditional believers were like. They were the charismatic movement was taking it a little too far, and so they were almost like we're not going to have that, and not crushing that movement, but to a certain extent. And so from that, we see a lot of the strife now with the contemporary movement, and and in the two thousand, you know, ten and and on up two thousand twelve. From that point, it was because of that they didn't want that charismatic movement. Um, to come forth and with false teaching and, and mm. false preaching, and so there was a lot of strife in that. Not that they didn't necessarily enjoy it or like it, but they didn't want what had happened before to happen again. They were scared of it. They were scared of it. Yeah, and well, a, a lot of the I, I think that a lot of the churches in that in that core fundamental, and I'm using that term loosely because. Each church is different. Each congregation is different. But the the core fundamentalists, they did not embrace any of the the contemporary, you know, services. That was all. The big churches were big because they compromised. The big churches were big because they they sold out. They were worldly. They were doing smoke screens and. You know, yeah. the big churches were beer joints for Christians instead of, you know, soul winning stations. And, and you know, all these terms were used to defeat the contemporary stuff. Mm-hmm. And actually, we were shooting ourselves in the foot because, you know, we're isolating a whole group of young people coming up. Like babyface. And, yeah. And, it, I mean, it really is. We, we hurt ourselves all the way around because... You know, we got busy shooting our own soldiers. Well, I'm curious. Do, so you just mentioned that those particular people did not embrace the content that was that was being produced or provided. So you mentioned smoke screens and uh, the the different musical aspects and pieces. But do you think that that is because of those things in and of themselves? Meaning, do you think the people had a problem with the smoke smoke screens and that kind of music or do you think it's it can simply be attributed to human nature 
on its own because what I've learned, and Duncan, you can do with this what you want, people are rigid and people are painfully consistent. So do you think the issue was the content or do you think the issue was the consistency of the people? To be very, and I don't mean to offend anybody and I hope this don't, uh, because I have friends in both camps that I love dearly. Uh, but I think one of the simplest truths are most of the fundamental preachers that I knew at that time that was adamantly against it, uh, most of them had no idea what it was. And I think they were fighting to keep members. I think they were fighting to keep the faith as they knew it, not knocking any of them, not putting them down. I, but I think one of the biggest drawbacks to that era of the worship wars, <laughs> and I like that term, uh, that time, the 90s and the early 2000s, across the board, I think the biggest thing was a huge lack of information and a lack of willingness to sit down at a table like this and communicate one with another. Uh, and we were just taught that anything that was not of us was wrong. <laughs> it's always been that yeah. way, so it's always yeah. got to stay yeah. that way. This is the way Jesus yeah. did it, and well, this is the way we're going to do it. And I think there was, I, I, I want to be careful to, pro yeah. to protect some people in this because there, there's a large group of people that I love dearly oh, yes. who still to this day yeah. would say, I want my traditional style of worship, yeah. yes, and sir. I want my Sunday night worship back, mm -hmm. and I want my Wednesday night prayer meeting. Yeah. And, and both of them are needed. And those are mm -hmm. wonderful people whom I yeah. love dearly. And, and I think that sometimes we attack some of those in saying they were stuck in the mud or they're yeah. they're unwilling to change or they're um, but but I think to some degree as I've led some of those people in the, in the in recent years and just try to love them well and try to understand where they're at a lot of them have a legitimate desire to protect yeah it's not necessarily even a desire of I just don't want to change and I'm too rigid as much as it is I I believe that what I'm holding on to we're protecting is the, is the right is yeah. the right way to do this mm -hmm. and, yeah and so I will stand for what I believe is right in that. And so I think that there is a level of not necessarily condemning them for that mindset mm -hmm. as much as it is trying to love them through that mindset and help yeah. them see what opportunities come out of making some of these shifts and, mm -hmm. and why there's a whole generation that walked away from the church. Not a whole generation, that's a misnomer, but yeah. there, there are a lot large of people large large popularity large who have walked away from the church because we wouldn't adapt not changing the you mentioned content earlier and then you said I found it interesting you said content but then the way that you phrased content was smoke screens and, and all the things that we mentioned yeah. which i wouldn't say is content that's atmosphere sure yeah right and so uh, the content should not change the yeah. message that we proclaim should not change mm -hmm. the atmosphere in the room that will yeah. change the method um, we the produce method yeah. that yeah. We the use, method that we you know on a sunday morning or for even in discipleship programs mm -hmm. sunday school versus life groups yeah. that method is going to change mm -hmm. the content should not we should always go back to god's word in those things yeah and, and i think what's happened is we have a, a a group of people and and to be honest again the longer i'm in this the more i see it on both sides yeah. where i go there's also a sense of rigidity in the younger generation mm -hmm. too that is unwilling to flex the other way mm -hmm. and say, hey, I'm willing to give a little and allow you to have an atmosphere that you enjoy and, and to love you even where you are. Yeah. And I think for the first time, honestly, in, gosh, guys, I've been in ministry since 2000, I think my first role is 2004, 2005. So coming up on 20 years of being in the ministry in some form or fashion, 
And over those 20 years, this is the first time that I think I've seen the pendulum begin to swing almost to an equilibrium. Yeah. Where it's I like agree. we have a younger generation that's willing to give a little and concede a little and say, hey, I'm not just going to come in and, you know, paint the sanctuary and rip out everything that you've grown and grown to love and built and spent your whole life doing. But I do want some aspects of what I love and what I enjoy and what is a sense of my generation. And we have an older generation that for the first time is willing to also concede the other way and go, you know what, you're right, we've got to find some middle ground that works. Here's what I would like to hold on to, but I'm willing to give on some of these things and make that work. And so I, I, I say all that to say I want us to be real careful in that conversation because we can't jump to, well, the older generation is too rigid or the older generation is unwilling. Yeah. I think there was a season where that was true. We're not in that season anymore. No. I, don't, no. I, don't, I don't believe it. Uh, well, no. and, and I'll say this uh, to kind of piggyback on that and, and to kind of add a piece in there. We're talking a lot about music, mm. but it, it wasn't just a conversation about music. Absolutely. It was, it was also uh, which version of the Bible you were using. How you it were was dressed. how you were dressed. Yeah, yeah it, it, it was a lot more than just a music thing. But, no, I agree, um, Chris. It, it, it is one of those things where there's a lot of times where we attack one side or we attack both sides for, you know, what they were doing. But what we have to understand, too, is that in those moments, there are a lot of times where that's just what people prefer. Yeah. I, I mean, I, there are times, and, 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 and thankfully... Uh, we are at a blended church because there are times where I come in where I want the old hymns and I want that's the way I want it, and and let's throw down that way. And then I might come into the the next next Sunday and I want it like bumping and I want to feel the bass in my chest and that's the way I want it to be. And so I I, I think that it it does come down to that preference aspect. Yeah. And, Will, you actually said something that kind of resonated with me, too, when we were talking about the way that the the more traditional service held on. You, you mentioned that a lot of the pastors didn't know what was going on, but they were trying to hold on to their church attendance. Mm -hmm. So I, I think a lot of stuff comes in. It, it all plays back into this church attendance thing. And, and you know, just as far as, you know, there are a lot of times where we try too hard for this church attendance. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, with that being said, I, I think that we have to be aware that, yes, sometimes we're called to change. Yes, sometimes we're called to stay the same. Um, but church attendance is important. I, I, I think it's drastically. Um, and Chris has got his Bible, and, and I think I know where he's going with this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it over to him to throw to that. But I also want to say... Um, I saw a really cool thing to piggyback on whatever you're about to say. So go ahead there, buddy. Well, I have two just scriptures that came to mind as we were talking about that. And honestly, I have, I have prayed and prayed and prayed over Philippians 2 for not just our church, but all churches for years because I watched um, my dad was a Southern Baptist pastor and, and things did. There were a couple of church situations that did not end so well because of worship wars, because of what was happening in that and, and the fight for church attendance and the, the fear of what change would bring to church attendance or, or to the church in general. Um, and every time I've ever read Philippians chapter 2, I've always prayed over that passage for the global church. Here, here's what it says. So this begins in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, 
complete my joy by being of the same mind, uh, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And so there's this, he starts out with this idea of unity and this one mind. And it's like, that's not where the church was. And to be honest, still isn't where the church is. There's not one mind and one accord in as far as preferences go, yeah. like Will was talking about. But he, he defines that a little bit further about how that unity happens. And here's what my prayer has been. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Um, and if y'all ever listen to me pray, I pray that a lot. Um, I pray it on Sunday mornings when we get ready to lead our worship teams and uh, we're getting ready for our worship service. And one of the phrases that comes out in my prayer all the time is, Lord, don't let us do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. Don't let me get up on stage today and wage war in worship trying to get what I want out of this thing. But then he keeps going. He says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a man, or of a servant rather, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Many of you can probably quote the rest of that passage. But verse 5, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Uh, sorry, verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. That's been my prayer for the church for decades of like, can we get to a place where I don't walk into church and go, give it to me my way? Mm -hmm. And that's worship, that's scripture reading, that's the sermon style, that's all of those different aspects of like, I don't want to walk into a church service going, give it to me my way. I walk into a church service going, how do I love Joe across the room and meet his needs? And the truth is that if we'll do that in a church setting, everyone's needs get met because yeah. we're constantly worried about someone else's mm -hmm. needs. And so I think that as we frame that in terms of church attendance, we reached a point in church history where that humility and that mindset of Christ was lost. And it became, give it to me my way. And if you won't, I'll leave this church and I'll go build my own. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was where you saw mass exoduses yeah. out of churches. And um, the, the birth of, and I, and I don't think that this movement's necessarily a bad movement, but the birth of, of home churches where people were meeting in people's living rooms. My brother's a huge supporter of that. And I love him in that because he challenges me to think that way of like, what is church? And, and that's yeah. a conversation we've got to have too. Yeah. Of like, does church attendance mean that I showed up to a sanctuary on Sunday morning? Yeah. Or can that happen on Tuesday evening in my living room with a group of people who we're talking Jesus with and studying scripture? And like, is that church? And does that qualify as church attendance? Because there's a whole sector of people who would affirm that and say, why do I need to show up on Sunday morning? I have Tuesday night, yeah. right? So we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll circle back around that. Yeah. Um, but in the last scripture, second one that came to mind is Acts 2, as we think about the early church. And this is where, man, my mind goes every time I think about what a church should be doing as they think about attendance growing. So you've just had the day of Pentecost. God has added literally 3,000 people in one day to the church role, right? Yeah. The church attendance just exploded. What did the church do with that? Um, and starting in verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, uh, the fellowship, uh, to breaking of bread, and prayers. There are four things that the church devoted themselves to. The apostles' teaching or scripture, uh, fellowship, which is what you were talking about earlier, Will, about we, it, there was a cultural time where we showed up to yeah. church for community. That's what we came for. One of the things we came for, to breaking of bread, that sharing meals, uh, which Wes alluded to that earlier, meals he won't eat, um, <laughs> and then uh, and, and praying. Those are the four things that a biblical church should be centered on. Mm -hmm. And if we'll center ourselves on those things, 
church attendance takes care of itself. Mm -hmm. um, and we see that in Acts chapter 2. God added to their number daily as they focus mm -hmm. on those two things. So anyways, I just want to read those two scriptures because they, they came to mind. But. Well, I, I will say that it was not where I thought you were going. <laughs> but sweet. no, I, I will agree. And I like that as well in Acts 4 where we're talking about, you know, that one mind aspect as well. where And, and everything was for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, what I thought you were going to is probably the, the, the verse that everybody knows when it comes to, you know, church-wise, and that would be in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, mm -hmm. um, verse 25. It says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day draw near. What we forget and what we miss is verse 24 in front of that, it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So when we gather as a church, yes, we're supposed to have that, but it's supposed that we can, it's it's supposed to be for us to stir up love and good works amongst each other. It, it doesn't say anything about, you know, what we're supposed to get out of that. It says so that, you know, how to stir up one another. Mm -hmm. it, it's our job to help others get stirred up with love and good works. I saw something else, too, as I was kind of preparing for this, um, where they were adding to that, and it said, um, uh, in, in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, uh, and this is, again, one that we probably all know, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And if you think about it, how many times have you watched National Geographic where you see the lions going after their prey, right? So what do they do? They isolate their prey. By us not gathering together, we isolate ourselves and we open ourselves up um, to a greater target from our adversary, from the devil. Um, and, I, and I think um, that is a really cool way of thinking about that and that I've never thought about. You know, is that aspect of, of by not going, um, by not going, then we uh, we've opened ourselves up um, to you know being attacked, and um, I think that's really cool. And I agree, and I think we will circle back around to that part that you were talking about, Chris, about um, what does church actually look like? Because if we look at the early church in Acts two, in Acts four. It's not them showing up to a building with a steeple and a cross in the baptistry. Like it was, it was inside of tents and homes and things like that. And that's how the church looked. And and really, even if we're talking going back while Jesus was still walking the you know the earth, it wasn't even in a specific location. They were literally just following him around. That was church. Well, let's let's pause there because. I guess what we should do is, is define the point of the church, yep. right? Yeah. Because we've talked about content, we've talked about a lot of, of, of different things that, that kind of make up what the church is or how we perceive the church or, you know, this, this vision that we have of, of what the church is in, inside our mind and our, our subconscious and things like that. So we've talked about content, but we also need to talk about intent, yep. the intent of the church and what it was designed for, what it was created for, those type things. Because we've also talked a lot about pride and humility and, and some of those type words, which really opens the door for us to kind of dive into 
egocentric type things and theocentric type things. You know, is it is it about me? Is it about God? What is this whole church about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I, I think that takes us back to uh, the scripture that you read, Chris. You know, it's what we're supposed to be get, doing in church, you know, devoting ourselves um, to the scriptures, fellowship, that community aspect of it. Um, I can't remember the other ones right offhand. Fellowship, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. There you go. I, I, I think that's 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 where because that's what the church should look like, as far as what should actually be taking place. But now, now you're talking say, about the New Testament church. Well, yes, because there is the Old Testament church mm-hmm. where the the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin they attended a church just as much as we do. Well, and, that, and there's no difference in that. In fact, if mm-hmm. you keep reading in that same passage, passage of Acts chapter 2, there's not a separation of home and church in this, mm-hmm. um, just like there wasn't in the Old Testament. Um, you can read forward to verse 46 and it says, and day by day attending the temple together. And so there was this mm-hmm. idea of like, yes, they had home life where they did these same things. There was Bible study that happened. There were shared meals. There yeah. was prayer. There was also we go to the temple together and we worship at the temple. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think that you can try to dispensate the Old Testament from the New Testament as far as, well, in the Old Testament, they worshiped this way and there was this forced aspect of it here. I, I think there was more of a legalistic forced aspect of that where you're tapping into the Pharisee and Sanhedrin piece. The original traditionals. The original <laughs> Just kidding. The OGs. The OGs. But, but that's no different than the expectation in the New Testament of, of what was... And I think we have to understand the difference between descriptive and prescriptive too in Scripture, that Acts chapter 2 is describing what the church looked like, not necessarily prescribing what the church has to look like. So what you're saying is the intention of the church all the way back into the years of A.D., before Christ, the intention and the point and the purpose of the church has always been the same. And it oh, is absolutely. essentially those those things that you've just described. Yeah, I mean, you go back to the design of the original tabernacle, tabernacle and temple, and even before that, uh, right, the institution of the family from Genesis yeah. 1, because really that's where church began, was in Adam and Eve's family, and that was the institution of marriage, and worship occurred with the family. It's not until we get uh, into, into the exodus in the wilderness where we get the tabernacle, which is really the first described kind of place of... There's a centralized location where the entire family of Abraham's lineage comes together to gather and worship, but that doesn't happen until, you know, we're yeah. a long way into the story. I yeah, think. and if you notice it as you go through that, it's tar- talking about a centralized location. It's like any time something big happened um, in in that scripture pre-Exodus, they built an altar, and so it was like wherever they were, that's where they worshipped, and so um, I. I I, just to add to that point, um, you know, as far as how that looks. And I, and I think, too, we have to take that to, like, the Great Commission, right? So the great, what is the Great Commission? It tells us to teach and make disciples. So church should be almost like a school um, where we're coming here to gain knowledge that we need to be disciples and make disciples as we go forth. So I think you... It, it, I, I think it can be anything. 
<laughs> My conclusion, no, no, it could be anything. It's I mean, not necessarily anything, right? Yeah, yeah, like not anything. Yeah, I understand yeah. the remark, yeah, but, yeah. but there is a purpose behind that anything. It was a yeah. a place where God was to be worshipped in God's presence. But in the Old Testament specifically, and I know I just said, don't dispensate it, but and dispensate may not even be a word. <laughs> but we can't we can't separate those two. But we can't put God in a box in the Old Testament. But at the same time. They put God in a box in the yeah. Old Testament of like he was in the Holy of Holies. He was in that innermost tent. And that was where God's presence was said to dwell. So if yeah. I wanted to be in God's presence, that's where I had to go to gather together and be in God's presence. So it was a place of, of worship and making much of God. It was a place where I dealt with um, the conviction that God had placed on my life and the, the, the dealing of sin, uh, the restoration of my relationship with him. It was also a place of fellowship, though. It was a place yeah. where they gathered together for feasts and celebrations, and uh, it, it was a place of gathering wherever they were. But I think even in the construction of the tabernacle, and that was an interesting season of life for the Israelites because they were nomads at that point yeah. traveling through the wilderness. But the whole idea of the tabernacle was that the tabernacle went with them wherever they went, mm -hmm. right? And so it's like, okay, God said, today you're going to pick up and move 10 miles that direction. They took the tabernacle with them, and they set it up 10 miles away, and where they were, God was, and where God was, they were. Um, and that's no different than when we get to the New Testament, um, although it's very much defined at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ when the temple veil is torn. Um, and, and we get this idea of the Holy Spirit now indwelling his people rather than being in a tent, uh, a physical tent. He is in the tent of our body. Um, and he goes with us where we go. So where God goes, we go. Where we go, God goes. Yeah. Um, and so to that point, I think you have to look at the home church movement mm -hmm. and you have to say, is that valid, right? Is yeah. it okay for us to say we don't need a steeple, we don't need a church facility, we don't need a huge staff, we don't need all of these things. We just need a place where believers can gather for worship, for dealing with spiritual matters and sin, uh, for fellowship, and, and for the equipping, like you were talking yeah. about, uh, Will. Uh, the equipping to be able to go and com complete the Great Commission. Um, well, history always repeats itself, it seems like, and I'm glad you said that about the Old Testament. When and every, I agree with everything y'all are saying, but by the time Christ came on the scene at his birth and his ministry started, his biggest battle was organized religion. Yeah. The Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and just like in our day, just like in his day, just like in every other day, you have cycles in human nature where, yes, they built the tabernacle under the leadership of the, the you know, under God's leadership for the purpose of worship. But by the time the, you know, the last books of the Old Testament and the 400 years of silence came uh, and then Jesus' birth, and ministry began when Jesus started his ministry his greatest opposition was religion organized across the board accepted religion of the Pharisees wanting it their way the Sadducees wanting it their way you know everybody fighting to be right where oh I don't pick corn on Sunday or I don't eat or I don't do this or I don't do that and I'm better than you because I believe in the uh, you know, I believe this way and I'm better than you because I believe that. And when Christ came and began his ministry, he was getting away from that. Not that he, you know, he, he died for all, but when he started his ministry, he, did, he didn't go to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He went 
to the home churches. He went to the woman at the well. He went to the unchurched because the church was part of the problem and in reaching the world. And, you know, all through the New Testament or the early New Testament, part of the problem were the church, the organized religion was trying to defeat Christ. And so Christ went to the small church. He went to the small congregations, the, the home church, the ones that were doing it different. And I think we all have a tendency, no matter what, no matter what the label of the church is, no matter what the uh, demonstration or the method, if we, if we do not keep others a priority and we do not keep Christ the center of it, no matter how it begins, whether it's fundamentalism, whether it's contemporary, you know, whether it's evangelical, whether it's new, you know, modern one-on-one house church, if we don't keep Christ the center of it, over time, we make much of us and little of God, and we fall into the same trap the Pharisees and the Sadducees fell in. We get organized and we become traditional in our non-traditionalism and we fall away. Well, falling into those traps, I mean, it it really brings things full circle to how we started the conversation. We talked about uh, wars and we talked about shooting ourselves in the foot and we talked about this way versus that way. and, And it sounds like over time we've kind of lost sight and lost focus on what the church is supposed to be at its base level and at its base level the church is supposed to be christ-centered about christ theocentric it's all about god it's all about bringing him glory whether we're out in the wilderness pitching a tent to bring god's presence to us or whether we're walking into a sanctuary or a house it's about meeting god where he's at and allowing him to to dwell in us and live in us and speak to us and teach us and train us. But somewhere, somehow, some way, we've lost sight of that. And I, I feel like if we could just kind of rein that back in and find a little bit more balance, lose some of the egocentric pieces, my way, your way, or the highway, if we could just lose some of those things and, and just kind of rally around what the church is actually about, it may invite and attract more people in because sure. they see that. They see that division. They see that divisiveness. You know, churches are supposed to be welcoming and open-doored and things like that, but, you know, the, the, the problem with the church nowadays is it's more than anything, it's on trial and it's on defense based on how people who attend the church live, well, right? And, and, and I was going to say that it is one of those things, as Chris mentioned earlier, that we are seeing that pendulum uh, you know, shift back to more equal area. And with that, I think church attendance overall is also seeing a, a slight shift because if you look back, that generation that, or generations or whatever that were stepping out that, that didn't have to be part of that, that aren't going to church on a regular basis, um, or if, if they are, they may not be attending in person or whatever, but the the percentages aren't as high. Now, as it's coming back around, the younger generations 
uh, uh, Duncan, your 12 and 13 year old generation. <laughs> but, but your generation, mm-hmm. we're seeing a shift where they're coming back to the church, mm-hmm. where they're, they're being more involved and becoming more involved in the church and stepping in to ministry positions like Duncan, where, where they're, they're becoming leaders in the church. And it's because I think that, uh, once again, we have made this shift back towards the, the center we not necessarily have be, all become one mind per se, but it has become more of a kingdom focused. Mm-hmm. Well, let me and throw with you, that, let me throw you a curveball and challenge that a little okay. bit because a statistic that I pulled says attendance in the year 2050, so roughly 30 years from now, mm-hmm. the attendance in 2050 could be half of that that it was in 1990. And it says even pre-pandemic church statistics are giving proof that their attendance has continuously been decreasing. Uh, Hopefully, this could also be a consequence of people making the move to online services and so on. But they are seeing, despite what Mm -hmm. you're seeing, now I'm glad that that's what you're seeing, but holistically, Mm -hmm. what people are seeing, what statisticians are seeing is a decline. Yeah, Yeah. and that's not just global that is specific even to the state of South Carolina so and somebody from the SBC I'm sure will correct me on this if you ever listen to this podcast but it wasn't too long ago that I sat in a meeting with Southern Baptist uh, South Carolina Southern Baptist Convention guys and the statistic in the state of South Carolina was that 80% of all churches across the state evangelical churches have either plateaued or are declining in attendance um, and 80% 80% so when when you put that in perspective and a lot of people will complain about why are we investing so much money in planting churches? Why are we investing so much money into all these things? Well, 80% of our churches are about to close their doors. That's why. Um, and so we've had to reinvest into something that looks new and, and hopefully will will change some culture in that. Um, and I forget how they define They, they defined uh, their definition of um, plateau or declining had to do with baptism rate and church attendance. And I can't remember exactly how they phrased that, but it was a, they very openly broadcast that in a meeting one time. And that shocked me. I'll, I'll be honest. I no put doubt. It, I put it in my phone around 80% yeah. of these churches. That's 8 have, out of 10. That's 8 out of yeah. 10 have yeah. plateaued or are declining um, all the way across the state of South Carolina. And that's not just Southern Baptist churches. That is evangelical churches across the state of South Carolina. Yeah, I think that's across the United States. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I really do. And, like, uh, as we see th- these decreases, we see, like, shifts like we've been talking about with the centralized location, um, and what do you guys think that church, like online church or live streams, have kind of done to this uh, decrease or even uh, evangelical opportunities? Like pros and cons to this uh, online church. What are you guys' thoughts? Well, let me first step back to that that statistic. That's that West is coming back. I know. I, I'm a step backer. No, no more backsliding. I'm backsliding here. Um, <laughs> All have sinned and fallen short of God, my friend. At least 80%. Yeah, at least 80%. I, I, I will say um, that one of the st- statistics that I saw uh, showed numbers very accurate to that. They showed that 60% um, of people, no, this is uh, November uh, 2022. This was done by PewResearch.org. It said that 60% uh, of the people that they surveyed um, did not attend in person or watch online or on TV. And so that's and so, no attendance. That's no attendance. Zero on, attendance. Yep. Did not attend. This would be um, 
I can't remember if that was on a regular basis or that was just no attendance whatsoever. Um, but either way, that that's 60%. So I, I do say that there is a decline from that. Um, again, this is the number that they surveyed. Um, but there was a shift uh, from March of 2022 um, where it, it said um, that 14% of the people that they surveyed attended in person and online or on TV. Um, and that number dropped to 12%, but only attend in person jumped from 13% to 16%, and only watched online or TV dropped from 16% to 12%. So I think there is a shift back towards the attendance of church, um, though I will say that there was also a drop um, between March of 2022 and November of 2022 where we went from 57% said they did not attend anything to 60%. And so I do think that there is a drop there for sure. And I, I'm not necessarily calling that 80% a bad number per se um, because I think it's a very accurate number when we talk about our churches. Now, I think you, all you have to do is walk out in your community um, but I wonder to a certain extent, and this, this is going to sound bad, and I don't really mean for it to, but at least where we're at, how many churches are probably within a mile of our church that we're sitting at right now? A lot. A lot. There, there's a lot. And, and I'm not trying to say that some churches need to close their doors. Don't get me wrong in that statement. But what I'm saying is we might be seeing a shift in attendance at those churches due to the fact that God's like, well, hey, we've got all these churches, and, and we just we kind of need to well, right. rein that let's, back in. So let's think about this logically, okay? We are in the Bible Belt. We're in the heart of South Carolina. Yeah. Well, not really, because that would be the, the, the nearer Columbia. But, yeah. you know, we're in the upstate of South Carolina. The population of South Carolina is roughly 6 million people. So you take those 6 million people, right? And you divide those six million people. Now, this is assuming everyone is an active attender or churchgoer, which we know they're not. But for sake of conversation, if you take those six million people and divide them by the one million churches, now I don't have that number, but, you know, however many churches there are in, in the state of South Carolina, on average, how many people Ooh. are actually going to attend any given church? Um, so I don't know that this is accurate, but just to help your number out a little bit, um, it's uh, this is churches-in.com. says uh, 109,816 churches in the state of South Carolina are in their, in their church directory in the state of South Carolina. How many? 109,816. That can't well. So that would mean that that's each in their church, church directory. Just would saying. receive fifty-four people if every single person in the state of South Carolina attended a church service. Then, if everyone were to visit a church, then then the average attendance per church would be fifty-four. Now that's clearly wrong because you know not everybody yeah. attends churches and, and things like that plus you've got the mega churches around here that have hundreds and if not thousands of attenders so so what do you think is a realistic idea for a church of our size or a church of a similar size like like what is a win 
for church attendance for us, for them. Are you talking like weekly average or are you talking about like roll size before you need to make a change? In other words, yes. the, the way that I would approach that is, is, <laughs> is, to, say, is to say that I think that every church should have the heartbeat of multiplication. I just do. I think that that is the heartbeat of the Great Commission is to always say we haven't been called to be a holy huddle and to gather together and to, to hold our resources and, and be this thing, this consolidated group here, but rather that we've been called to be sent into all these different places. And so I've always kind of viewed that and said, man, when a sustainable church, budget-wise, being able to have a, a, a staff, and again, that's a whole other conversation about should churches have staff, full-time staff members and all that, um, is there better use for those resources? And as I'm saying that, I know that I've got three paid staff members around the table right now. <laughs> Maybe four, Will, or you, I don't know if you're paid or not by your church. So we've got five uh, or four out of five of us are paid staff members. Sorry. I'm waiting ones. for the check. Speak <laughs> <laughs> um, <Just> longer. <laughs> Talk longer than 20 minutes. We might think about it. <laughs> but a sustainable church is somewhere in that ballpark of like 150 to 200 people. It's just like, hey, you can pay a full-time staff member or two couple part-time guys, a worship guy, a youth pastor, whatever, you can function all of your programming, you can have a facility, you can do all those things that a, quote, church should be able to do before before you are um, hoarding a little bit, for sure. lack of a better term, right? So at that 200 mark is where you kind of go, in my opinion, is where you start considering and going, is it time for us to send a group? Is it time for us to say, hey, Joe, in the, in the, in the pew out there, have we trained and equipped you enough? And have we seen God's call in your life enough to be raised up to be a pastor? Have we equipped you to be able to do that? Can we send you with five families down the road into a place where we know the gospel is either not present or is, um, is or declining or declining? Like we've talked about. Can we send you into one of those communities and begin to plant and renew some life in that community? So I, I think that as we look at that, and, and there are a lot of different philosophies in that, right? So you've got obviously some larger churches that, that would go, no, nah, man, we're just... The more people in the room, the, the better, and that just gives us more resources where we can have a youth camp that's got more people in it than um, than the, the average attendance at a normal church on a Sunday, an average-sized church on a Sunday. Um, but to the point we were talking about earlier with 8 out of 10 declining, and, and to Will's point, if, if we have the capacity, if we have the means, if we have the resources, why why are we drawing these lines in the sand saying, well, no, this is this is our holy huddle, this is our group, this is our church, this is just the way we've always done things, and this is the way we're going to continue to do things. Why not do more together in order to be more effective, in order to spread the gospel, in order to reach more people, in order to advance the kingdom? Like, why? What's the hang-up in those things? Where's the bad in all of that good? Well, Go ahead, sorry. I, I was just going to say, it is an ego thing, and it is a pride thing. So when egocentric. It, it's about me. I, I, I think to a certain – I don't want to cast that, you know, across the board, right? Because, again, as we've talked – Because even, this could open the door for denominational lines. Well, yeah. Well, and, and the thing about it is, and that's what I'm saying, like uh, you, it, you're – you got to be careful about trying to get too specific with a subject sometimes because and the reason I say that is it's like we talked about it's going to go back to there there's a preference there and and I don't I don't think that our preferences are ego I think our preferences are preferences I mean 
all of us around this table will eat at a church family <laughs> dinner. Except for you. Not all. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Except for you, Wes. There's a preference. <laughs> There's a preference. But, but, but like, there is a preference thing there that, that I think you have to be careful. Again, when we get into that, like, we don't want to, you know, put it on somebody that they're evil because that's their preference. And why I say that is, and, and what I really get, what I'm trying to get to the point on that is when we look at something like size of church, that's dependent on the church's mindset. Because if, if, I mean, if we're going to go straight um, biblical on this, right, and, and, and go like the apostles I mean, their church size was ginormous, <laughs> but none of them were on staff, right? They didn't have a staff, but everybody shared everything. So you're talking about this communal thing where people are selling property. They're giving the money to the church. Nobody owns anything or calls it their own, even though they may own it. It's all the churches. And, and, and I'm not saying that that's a bad mindset, but what I'm saying is it, you've got people who have that mindset where we don't have staff because it's supposed to be this way. But you've also got a mindset where we need some kind of staff. You know, we, we like our pastor. We don't want to get rid of him. Like, we want to pay him. And so, like, we need some kind of staff. He needs to have the availability because he is our, 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 our leader, right? He, he, is, he is, you know, our visionary when it comes to the church. He's receiving it from God. He's the head of the church, you know, as far as our local church. And so we want him to, to be able to have that freedom and not have to worry about working and do all that stuff. And so you've got all these different mindsets when you come into that. So your size of your congregation is really just dependent on you know the mindset there. And I don't think that that's an ego and that's a pride thing. I think that is, and, and I don't think it's a non-biblical thing. But you do have to be cautious because preferences can produce or provide a slippery slope. Because another thing that I'm seeing is 23% of people aren't actively visiting or attending a church because they can't find a church that is right for them. Well, and that's what I was going to say. There is a little bit of a pride thing there, right? When, especially when you get into, when you get into receiving help from other churches, like you would, like the original question that was brought up, there is a pride thing where it's like, pastors and deacons and church leaders don't want to turn over those reins. There's a control aspect to that. And they don't want to turn over those reins. And I think it's, it's, it's almost because they feel like if they were to do so, it becomes, I failed. Well, it's the expectation of a staff role, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what I feel in that, is yeah. if I delegate too much yeah. or if I give away too much, well, then I'm not accomplishing what I'm being paid for. And, and, and that's not where my mind goes all the time, but there is that tendency yeah. to let that creep in your mind. Of, well, I'm paid to do that, so let me take mm -hmm. care of that. Rather than saying, no, 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 I'm paid to equip the saints yeah. to go do those things. Yeah. So let's allow them to go do those yeah. things and to meet the needs of people around us. Um, but yeah, that, that, that staff piece, that yeah. pa lead pastor piece, or even associate pastor piece, can be very challenging to navigate for a lot of guys mm -hmm. because we do fall into that trap of, yeah. I am the leader, I am the visionary, I am all the things that you said a second yep. ago. So I can't let that guy over there do that. Well, and, <laughs> and, and I will say that I have fallen into this aspect of that as well, is that um, 
I look towards judgment, mm-hmm. not necessarily of the church around me, but like judgment day. And I have fallen into it where it'd be like, I'm held accountable for what happens within this group when it comes to God's eyes. Mm-hmm. And so making the, de- the final decision, I, I had to almost make that decision. I, I could delegate. I was fine with delegating. But you couldn't make a decision without going through me because I specifically was worried about judgment. Mm-hmm. And I... And, and by an doing, account for your work. yeah. So I can account for, uh, you know, that if this person, you know, just if this person decides, you know, that they're not going to follow God because of my a decision I made, right? I've got to stand before God, and and or if I've pushed people away from God because of a decision or a statement that I've made, like I ultimately have to stand before God and answer for that. And so it became one of those where it's like, I can't, I'm not going to let you choose the curriculum um, because I don't want that decision to come back on me. So it's like almost like an accountability thing for yourself where it's, it's not necessarily you're worried about the, the church people paying you. It's more um, you're scared to, to let the people that God has giving you the opportunity to equip take the reins and and I, I I think you know that goes back to those and and it really goes back um, to something that I told the youth um, last night when we were doing it when it goes back to the thought process of their sin is is their sin it's and so their failure is their their failure and and I say that not trying to say that they will fail but I say that meaning that if they do fail or they do sin it's not on me if I have done what I'm supposed to so my accountability yes is there and so I I could have relinquished control and I think these pastors feel the same way is the accountability is on them and so yes they can relinquish that and bring in outside help and bring in these people but there's a fear there that they are going to be held accountable in how they led the church body. And so because of that, they don't want to take that chance. But how do you think that would have worked out for Moses when he was the head of all of these people and he was trying to do everything himself and he was trying to, to bear this whole burden on his own and finally somebody pulled him aside and said, hey, bud, that's probably not a good idea. You should probably get some help doing yeah. this. Good old Jethro. Well, and that, that's what I'm saying. I'm not necessarily saying that that is how we should do that, but I'm saying to the aspect of why they wouldn't relinquish, why they won't say it's okay for this church to come in and, and give us a, a, a church look over and say, look, hey, y'all are doing this. We found that this is okay. And then, and then in turn, their attendance may grow in that. And, and that's what I'm saying is I'm not necessarily saying that it's all about pride or all about ego or all about that. Sometimes it is genuinely trying to do the right thing. I'm just talking towards the mindset of that pastor. And so that's what I meant by that. Not, not that we should no, be like Moses be in that, that moment. Way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, that is a but lot there of times are the mindset. real true consequences of being that Correct. way. Correct. Yes, there are. And, and that was something 
that I, I pray that if there is somebody in that moment that they will realize that because it was something that when I was in that moment, I had to realize and, and I had to let go because it was literally me trying to do anything and everything because, again, I'm the one who's going to be held accountable and, and it is something where if they're equipped like they're supposed to, you've given them what they need. They need to have that ability to. Well, and it goes back to what Pap has, has talked about of being Christ-centered and spirit-led. You know, if you are those things and if your church is of that, then it's going to bear fruit. It's yeah. going to produce. It's going to see wins and it's going to see successes. But I think when we when we try and put that on ourselves and, and you know, uh, bear that on our own, that's that could be when we start to see some falter even that circles back around to the egocentric versus theocentric idea on the pastor's heart where it yeah. becomes so egocentric that this revolves around me yeah. and it revolves around what I can do and how well I can make this thing function and, yeah. and and I can't give anything to anybody else because if it falls it falls and I get judged yeah. for that right and and that becomes you want this, it done right do it yourself. that's right and, <laughs> exactly. that, and man yeah. I think every pastor falls into that trap yeah, at some yeah. point in time or another I definitely know I've been accused of that a few times in my lifetime um, and probably will be accused of a few more times <laughs> in my lifetime because I just like there is some ego portion of that where yeah. it's, I, it is that mindset yeah. of if you want it done right, do it yourself or I, I know that I'm going to be held accountable for that and yeah. so I want it done right, I'll yeah. it and so here's how that's going to go. But you see that play out in a, a lot of different church models coming all the way back to church attendance and talking about average size of churches. As yeah. you've seen in recent years, that, that, I, that model of now becoming campuses where it's like, well, we have a centralized government or a centralized leadership structure, but we have 18 different campuses that are run by that centralized um, government or centralized structure. This chair's going to break on me, guys. There it goes. I felt well, it coming. And, and to add to that, I, I think a lot of that comes out of the fact that... Um, <laughs> I'm going to die on this one. We have a... Uh, uh, chair a chair malfunction... And we have, uh, with our, <laughs> with our very expensive, highly, uh, um, highly sought after, uh, highly equipped uh, recording studio. <laughs> I think the oral, my my chair's actually broke too, so <laughs> you know it's okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that campus mindset has come out of some of that unwillingness to to accept help because. One of the churches that I know of, in particular, has they literally give their materials away freely for anybody who wants them, mm -hmm. and and it's it's a mega church, um, and and they do that. It's anybody who wants to take it, but they have seen a lack um, of interest in that from churches in certain communities, and they've seen attendance from those communities coming to the to either their their home church or to one of the campuses to where they say okay y'all aren't you know not not again not that every model's right but because of this we're going to come in there and we're going to plant a church or plant a campus and allow the people who want to worship the way this is going to do that because they're not taking advantage of that information and so again it goes back to that ego thing yeah and i don't think there's anything to clarify I don't think there's anything wrong with the model of campus yeah, 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 yeah. and a centralized leadership structure. I actually think that's a really neat way of doing things. 
Um, it allows for consistency amongst the church body. It allows for unity. Uh, I, I think that it, there is some aspect of control inside of that. Of, but it does validate what you said earlier about the church being about multiplication. If a church is able to multiply itself to yep. that capacity, 100%. they've got to be doing something right. Well, and you go back to that that ability. Or something to, really wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That, that people have bought into. That's true. Um, um, well, which and we've you seen go, that happen locally as well. It's yeah. true. And you go back to that one mind aspect as well as like we were talking about the church in Acts there. Um, you get that because you do have that centralized piece. Years ago, I heard I was talking to a, a pastor friend of mine. And we were just talking about stuff, and he said he made a, a comment that has stuck with me for years. He said, "My job as a pastor is not to tell you what to do for God. My job as a pastor is to help you in any spiritual way that I can, help you do the job that God told you to do." And and that's you know. It, it goes back to the ego, what do you egocentric? Right? Yeah, egocentric. If if I'm the pastor of the church, and I'm doing everything, whether it be a campus setting where I'm pastoring multiple churches, or a church like mine where it's a very small congregation or two thousand people, if if I'm doing all the work and I'm not. And I think that's one disconnect that we missed years ago. We spent so much time telling people how to live for God that when it came time for them to do it on their own, and I think that's a disconnect with the young people, is, you know, we told you what to do, but we never showed you how. And and I've talked to so many Christians who, uh, one lady went to church, her husband was a deacon. She went to church. She played the organ, uh, played the piano, taught Sunday school for years. I'm talking about grew up in church from the time she was old enough to be carried to church. Her mom passed away, and she looked at everybody, and she said, what do I do? She said, I have no idea on how to live, how to be a Christian. Her entire Christian walk was based on what the pastor said, what her mom said, following her mom to church on Sunday. And nobody, you know, one young man I talk, uh, talked to grew up in church. His dad was a pastor, uh, you know, taught Sunday school. Mom was a Sunday school teacher, raised in a uh, very spiritual, fund, you know, solid church foundationally solid home when he got 20 years old he said I've been told all my life what not to do and that's the problem I've been told what not to do but I have no idea as a young man starting a life of his own you know getting out of mom and dad's house he had no idea he knew what not to do but he had no idea what to do and I think any church no matter what setting it's in or no matter what configuration that church looks like, when we, when we fail to reproduce, when we fail to multiply, and we fail to 
pass what knowledge God's given us to young men like you. You know, when we fail to utilize that, we fail. You know, and and church, when it becomes an organization instead of organism, then we fail. No matter what the church looks like. So as we think about church attendance and like, um, just what you were saying, uh, what not like we know what not to do, um, and kind of having we're trying to having to figure out on our own. Um, what are some pros and cons when we think about online church? Again, like, um, what can it be? What can be uh, good and bad about the integration of that within a church? Um, thinking about this church attendance and so. Well, I, I think I think like Chris, like Chris, like like Pat was talking about. There's a mentor piece there. And so I don't think that online service is bad. I, I think it's really good. I think it offers you a way um, when when you are physically sick or you're on vacation or something like that, that you can still connect with your body of believers, um, with your community, with your family. Yeah. I, I think there there is a connection point there. However, I will say, um, speaking from experience, an online service is never the same no. as one in person. You, you don't worship the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you, if you're watching on a social media aspect, then most of the time you're going to be looking yeah. at other pieces of social media. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you're watching on TV, you know, you're going to have that. If you have a pet you know they're going to run across the room you know or whatever like there's it's it's not the same and so from that aspect i think that however you're doing that and in person whether that be in um a a traditional style you know church steeple stained glass windows whatever or within a home church but having in-person services where you're actually going to that church or uh, if it's at home maybe that church is coming to you or however you do that I, I think that is ne- it's a necessity mm-hmm. as well as the equipping part of that the discipleship part the mentoring part of that I, I, I don't think I think that we run into this thing where we're to become a better Christian you got to go to church on Sunday mornings and, and I do think you do have to go to church on Sunday mornings. But as we say here, or have said here at West Kent, um, it's the service may end, but the church is not ended. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to add those pieces of discipleship, whether it be small groups, Sunday school lessons. You have to add that mentorship. You have, and, and the thing about it is we always, when we talk about mentors, it's always, well, you've got to desire and find mm-hmm. your mentor. But the older should teach the younger. Mm-hmm. You, you don't know what you, you know, you don't know how to find that mentor if you don't even yeah. know about a mentor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, and so. To have one. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the thing about it is, too, it's also based upon a season of life. Mm-hmm. And I think God will put those people in there for you. Um, it, I, so as I preached 
um, this past Sunday about the beam and the speck. Once we get that that beam removed from our eyes, then we're able to we're we're, we're able to actually be an example because we've been we've we've removed whatever that sin was in our life Mm -hmm. and and so we're able to be an example for somebody else and i think that god will place that somebody else on our lives so that we can mentor them because hey i know nothing about how to go in and repair an engine i I cannot fix your car but pap can and so sometimes sometimes (laughs) and so if somebody's car is broke down they're not, God's not going to put me there to fix it. It's not intelligent, right? It, it, I couldn't do anything. I could ask them if they changed their oil lately, <laughs> you know, look for the little sticker, but that's about all I got, right? He would put Pap there for them. God is going to do that. And I think something that we haven't talked about from a church aspect is, in that as well is from a church aspect, sometimes we go through seasons. I think that we, we get into this thing where, and, and a lot of times, it goes back to that ego thing, where when we go to a church, we have to go there from the time we're born to the time that we die. And I'm not necessarily saying that we don't. But what I am saying is that sometimes in our life, God calls us to leave a church because that season, we have been equipped by what we are equipped for, what we needed to be equipped for. And so we need to move to another spot. And so I think... As far as the live stream, it has definitely impacted in-person attendance. I think it's it's not something where people should all of a sudden shut off all the cameras. I think it's definitely needed to be there. But it boils down to the person yeah. on the other end. And and I think that's where church attendance in general is yeah. going to boil down to that person. There's nothing that a, a pastor can do or a staff can do or um, a, a denomination or whatever can do to fix that it's going to boil down to that person on the back end there are things that we can do to entice that person Mm -hmm. right but it's going to depend on that person and i think that ultimately from the live stream aspect you're going to get people to start coming back to church when they realize the need to be back in church as well as a desire and a want to be in god's house well and and to to kind of echo some of what Chris said earlier, I do think we need to be cautious in how we address this because we do need to acknowledge extenuating circumstances. Yeah, there right. are people that physically aren't able. There are people that are emotionally unable. And, you know, to have this resource available to them is critical. It is highly, highly important to them. What we're seeing is new technology, but the the reasoning behind it has has always been there if, yeah. if you talk to michael caps who's our head audiovisual guy he can tell you stories from the 90s where he was literally recording on cassette tapes sermons six eight ten twelve times so that he could deliver those two shut-ins and people that were in hospitals all the time I've yeah. got boxes of cassettes. Yeah. And, the, and the live stream is the new version of that. Yeah. That's Correct. Where, that's, yeah. I think that's where we're both kind of headed in that same direction of uh, when I think about, uh, we've got several in our church right now who this time last year were active on a Sunday morning with us. Yeah. But because of health reasons, they can't can no longer do that. But I watch them every week log on to the live stream yeah. and they watch the service and they comment on it and they're still engaged in a way that yeah. they can be and probably more so, to be honest, than what was the case back in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s when cassettes and CDs were being duplicated. 
because at that point they had no way to interact. They, they just still had got to sit the, there and they listen. They got the content, yeah. but they didn't get the fellowship of that. And so at least with a live stream, there's the ability to have some amount of engagement. Now, yeah. when that becomes a crutch, though, or an excuse, that's where I think we have an yeah. issue of going, well, I can just watch the live stream yeah. and still get my, my church experience, <laughs> exactly. and I can tick the box of, yep, I heard my sermon this week, and I commented on it, mm -hmm. and I engaged in some way. Um, and engagement has become a very loose term as we think about social media in general. Uh, you, you gauge everything by engagements. You look at your, uh, you know, if you're, if you're managing a business Facebook page, you, you, you literally mark everything by engagements. And so we, we engage somehow by hitting a like button yeah. or, a, or a heart emoji or whatever. Speaking um, of, go ahead and hit that like and subscribe button for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, that may, Shameless that may be a good break because this this part of the conversation is what's going to make me come out of my chair because you started talking about engagement and you started talking about crutches and you started talking about the reasoning why people are substituting the live stream for in-person attendance. And I've done a ton of, of thinking around that specifically. Um, and I don't know if that's, I don't know if we want to hop off that diving board right now or not. Well, let, before we hop off, if, if that's what we're going to do, let me add this piece to it that we haven't talked about with the live stream aspect. It is also a witnessing thing mm -hmm. because I, I know um, when before I was in the ministry and I was on staff and we had moved, um, we were living in Savannah, Georgia. That was one thing that we used to kind of get us, you know, a, a little idea or, you know, to kind of get a, a visual, yeah, a feeling for a church, whether or not we would go, because we would go online, and and you could see how people were dressed, you could see the music that they were doing, and and I that goes back to that preferences thing, but it also goes back to people don't want to get embarrassed, mm. and so you don't want to walk into a church where everybody's you know in shorts and a t-shirt, and you walk in with a, a three-piece suit on, unlike. The Father Fryer over there, he doesn't mind that. But um. well, let me just insert this plug real quick. Thirty-three percent of active church attendees first found their church online. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we we talking about that. I'm glad you mentioned that about the tapes because back in the early '90s, I started preaching on WTBI down the road here. Best and, sound around. You know, we we made the cassettes. We sent them over here. You know, four or five a week on there, and we had to pay. Pretty good, pretty good chunk to be on there, and we had a 15-minute broadcast for a time, and then a uh, later on different time slots. But uh, you know, it cost a lot. Nowadays, anybody, any church, any preacher that preaches, any anybody sitting in their living room, can go online, do the same thing we're doing, Facebook, TikTok, or whatever the things are that that does that, and you can have the a far greater reach of people no doubt and you know worldwide mm -hmm. and you know I get I was talking to him at church last night and I guess my biggest takeaway from the online media is with the online whatever service it is the the Facebook podcast the live stream the church can impact the lives of believers or the lost through the live stream the live stream and the podcast and all 
but it's hard for the believers to impact the life of the church through the same thing. We can touch the people, but it's hard and almost impossible for the people to touch the church. And in order for it to be 100%, it needs both. Mm. You know, the people have to engage the church. It's not a one-sided deal. And I see a lot more of the church blessing the people as far as going on yeah. and looking and all. But it's, you know, it's hard to be a blessing to this congregation on Sunday if I'm sitting on my couch watching you preach yeah. in my living room. Yeah, and it's, you know. it's the difference between, like, um, passive bystanders and active worshipers. Yeah, like, yeah. Exactly. Um, exactly. Like, that's a big thing at uh, North Greenville. Like, we want to be active worshipers in our congregations, in our churches. And, like, again, going back to what the evangelist said, um, it really A little comes, more emphasis on the. The event. I have it, <laughs> we have it in all caps or over here. But um, he was talking about how it kind of depends on the person. And, like, we have these passive bystanders who sit there and worship not knowing what it's like to be an active worshiper, and then it becomes a crutch. And then it becomes, like, I'm just watching this to check a box. Um, but then on the flip side, we do have those active worshipers who do take that seriously and um, are able to engage like we've been talking about. So it is a very useful tool, but with a downside. Like, I do think live stream is an amazing tool that we can use and we can integrate into different things as and with everything that we said so far. But, like, going back to my original point, it's just the difference between um, passive bystanders in church and active worshipers. Mm -hmm. Very much so. So let's pick up there next week.